Hi, I'm Anne Miranda. I am one of the pastors at Village Church, and I'm so excited to be with you, the Way family. I am stoked to share with you today. I feel like I am that sister from another mister that you just haven't met yet. I love your teaching team. I love your staff. They have been so dear and blessed my life in so many ways. And so I'm excited to dive into God's word with you today. And we're gonna do something a little bit unorthodox. We are going to open up the table of contents. That is right. I'm not going to share out of a certain passage or start to exegete something uh, other than the table of contents. And so let's um, open up your table. I mean, we're going to go through from Genesis to Revelation. This is going to be fun. You're like, oh my goodness, how long is this going to take? Don't worry, I talk fast. We got this. Let's go. So table of contents, it actually, the definition of it, I am an English major and I love words. And so I had to look up like, what is this actually, where did this come from where somebody thought of this brilliant idea of creating a table of contents for literature? And it actually gives users just a organizes the contents of whatever document that we're going to look at. And so it allows readers to go specifically to a section of the document. And in this case, the table of contents of the Bible allows us to reflect and remember God's faithfulness in this big God story. As we read through those titles of the books, it reminds us of the purpose of this life. There's something bigger than the minutia of our life. And so we're going to zip through the entire Bible, Cole's Notes version. Now, this already dates how old I am because when I was studying in school, this is Cole's Notes is the cheater's edition. You just try to make sense of Shakespearean playwright and you grab this little book called the Cole's Notes and it has everything written for you in plain English. It's wonderful. It's this condensed commentary. And so let's get started. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form. And it was void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters, and it was there where God breathed creation into existence. It was there in verse 27 that God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them both male and female. It was in chapter 2 of Genesis where God said, listen, everything that I made, it is so good. He like celebrated his own creation. He the, a blessing was established at the beginning of creation, and so was Sabbath. His design was to dwell with humanity, the creator and his creation together. You know, my family comes from the Middle East. We are uh, Lebanese in heritage and Christians. So this makes us very unique in that region. We will have both Muslim friends and Jewish friends. And if you study a little bit of Middle Eastern history, you know that Christians seem to be, even the government is actually created like this in Lebanon, the, the peacekeeper, the peacemaker. And so at our table, many times growing up, we would have Jewish, Muslim, Jews, all sorts of different religions and faiths around the table. because you seem to be a neutral, safe space. Interesting, that was a little nugget for you. So my Jewish friend celebrated Shabbat recently and I called him up and he said, oh my goodness, I am picking up the phone because I know that it's you, but let me tell you about what Shabbat is all about. And I said, well, what do you mean? Like, okay, yes, I'm down. Tell, give me the lesson. And he said, when we celebrate Sabbath, it is that our family abides together with the creator. 
we remember who we believe in. And so as we are unfolding this story in Genesis, we are remembering who we believe in. The story actually unfolds out of brokenness in the garden. Then we're introduced to, and I'm not going to go through every single character, like, okay, guys, I'm going to like really zip through this. But Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Hagar, Isaac. Then we get to Joseph. There's so many promises that are completed in, in each of those characters. When we get to Joseph, I mean, talk about family drama. Rejected by his family, rejected by his brothers. They plot and mock his, his death and then sell him. And that's only the beginning. Joseph's story is like a juicy one. It's like a Netflix series. We get to Jacob, who then becomes Israel. And we read about people, people, ordinary people who became God's friends. And the God of grace shows up in a series of unfortunate events. Moses, who is coined as a murderer, he is anxious, he self-deprecates, he is searching for his identity, there's backstabbing happening, there's lying, there's like ruthlessness, and then God shows up as redeemer. He gives hope, he provides, he is a way maker. And in his song, Moses sings with Miriam in Exodus 15, you have led in your steadfastness, love the people who you have redeemed, O Lord. You have guided them by your strength and your holy abode. And over and over and over again, God calls his servants to himself. In Exodus 33, he says, his servants find favor in his sight, and I know you by name. Let's just stop there for a second. He knows his servants by name. All of those that I listed, Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus, Deuteronomy, all of those that are in that Torah portion of scripture, known by God. What's changed? His word is timeless. That same word that was presented to them, we get today. So he knows our name. And I'm going to get to application a little bit later, but when Moses tells God, show me your glory, God makes his face shine. That's the God that we have access to. So we remember that God has his promise. If you're going to remember one thing out of these next few minutes that we have together, it's the word remember. Remember God. He starts to explain to us through all of these different people that we're introduced to, Joshua, Caleb, Rahab, Deborah, Jael, this woman in the village. I always think of my mom when I think of Yael, a little Middle Eastern woman that says to the enemy, come, this big warrior terrorist guy, come, come to my house, come eat some milk and bread. It's okay, it's okay. And she feeds him and literally then puts a stake in his head to destroy the enemy, this fearless little village Middle Eastern woman where God shows up and keeps his promises. The God of forgiveness shows up in mighty ways. The God of mercy extends his hand and ceases the enemy from striking his people. Then we have people like Jephthah. Have you ever heard of this guy? This guy's a warrior and then ends up having to sacrifice his daughter. And then that whole situation of him being obedient, similar to an Abraham story, is just so mysterious. The God of mystery shows up to his servants when they say, we will serve you God most high. And things might not make sense. 
for the people that are serving him, the people that are his servants. But he shows up time and time and time again. And character after character, person after person that we're reading are so obedient in what God has called them to do. We've got Ruth. We have Naomi who takes her on as her mentor and mentee. These are fancy words that we use today. She's basically, hey, I'm going to follow God. Okay, I'll follow you because you follow God and let's go. That was phenomenal. We've got leaders like Samuel and Saul and David that end up all these leaders and kings and warriors, prophets, part of the genealogy of Christ. We have Abigail that her humility actually saved an entire population from slaughter because of her wisdom. And then there's Elijah and Elisha, where there's this God of power that shows up in signs and wonders. And people always ask me, how come we don't see God like that? How come we can't see him like that today? And I just look around for a moment. We want fire to fall from the sky or something. Look at how majestic the mountains are and the stars in place and this beautiful creation that he is being powerful. He is showing up through signs and wonders. We just have to slow down and take notice. Then we have the kings who remembered God Josiah, Hezekiah, Solomon, realizing God, I am reigning on this earth, but it is temporal. You are the God who reigns, who is eternal. We've got Ezra, Nehemiah, who are leading people back to what the creator wanted, back to the father, back restoring, setting people apart for holiness and leading the way. As they do that, they remember God who restores. We've got Esther, just the little Jewish girl, in the village, we've got Job diseased in such a, a state of distress. And God uses time and time again the ordinary, the normal person to fulfill his kingdom purposes on this planet. And as they remembered his word and rejoiced in who he was and is, the prophets held on to his word so tightly they proclaimed it. They realized there was a cost to discipleship. There was a cost. It was with their life. Isaiah, Jeremiah, who wants to be put in like a pit and, and just stuck there? Like nobody wants it, wailing because of just the lament that was on his soul, realizing there was so much brokenness and people not paying attention to God's word. Daniel, Joel, Malachi, Prophet after prophet, God downloading his word on them and then silence. See, everything in the Old Testament proclaimed the coming of the Messiah. The Savior is coming. The King is coming. The Prince of Peace is coming. And then in an unexpected, wild, crazy way... So funny story, I'm Lebanese, yes, but I barely speak a word of Arabic, but I am fluent in Spanish. And this is la vida loca. This is like crazy stuff right here. In a barn, in poverty, teenage pregnancy, all the things that will disqualify anybody from serving today, all of these things, the Son of God, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, interrupts 400 years of silence. And God remembers his people. He sees them. He hears them. He loves them. He leans into that. And he is faithful to provide this child that is going to reconcile humanity with the Father. And when Simeon and Anna in the temple 
proclaim this baby is God in flesh. For me, that's the Lion King moment. It's like the circle of life is happening right there. It's like, whoa, look at this baby. All the promises, all the prophecies, everything is happening right here in this baby. Like they were just mind blown emoji happening here. Times 1 million, King Jesus enters this earth in flesh and he starts to teach about the kingdom of God in the strangest ways, like a mustard seed, like a pearl, like a net, like yeast and leaven. I've given you lots of homework to go back and research all of these scriptures, but they're small things that make big impact. They're small things. If you ever see a mustard seed and the mustard plant is ginormous, what? happen there. Or yeast. I love baking. You put a little bit of yeast. It doesn't, you don't need a lot to make the, the dough actually rise. Little things making large impact. That is the kingdom of God. Small treasure makes an eternal impact. Then there's John the Baptist who declares that he's just, he's just a voice declaring, prepare the way. Now the New Testament begins to declare the Messiah is here, but he's also, we're awaiting his return. And the disciples would use these phrases like, come and see, we have tasted. We have tasted, this is good. We've tasted of the Lord. We've got Nicodemus and the centurion and the Samaritan woman who is, I am so thankful that the Lord included her in the scriptures because that is one woman who didn't wait a second thinking, oh, I should have gone to school before I shared Jesus. Oh, I should have gone and got a theology degree. Oh, I should have just waited and I have to be equipped and prepared and I don't know enough. And she just said, whoa, I'm a man who knew, who told me everything about me. And boom, she went to her village and told everybody there. And then they all came to know Christ and they came to worship him. And the Samaritans in that whole area was changed forever because of one person, one encounter, mind blown again, one person remember who God was. She said, I heard stories of you. I've heard, I've heard stuff about you. And he's like, yeah, you drink of these waters. I give you eternal life, living water. Remember, they remembered God who is good, God who heals, God who abides with his people. He was dwelling with his people, welcoming all the nations to himself completing all those prophecies, upsetting and refining the definition of the kingdom of God. He was inviting humanity into a relationship again with him through his son, Jesus Christ. We learn of this selfless God by the time we get into the gospels, especially the end of the gospels, the crucifixion story, this agape love where we know Jesus defeats Satan, sin, and death by dying on the cross. And then three days later, bursting through the grave, reconciling humanity with the Father. Look, if it was just die on the cross and that was it. But there's a secondary part. There's resurrected Christ. He resurrected, and that same power that resurrected him lives in us. And as we learn about the God of forgiveness who extends his mercy to criminals and soldiers and mothers and fathers and children and the blind and the lame and the beggar and the teacher and the fisherman, I pray that in Colossians 1, it says, Lord, fill us with understanding, fill us with sinusi, so that we would have the ability to connect the dots and remember the past, link it to the present, and be completely in awe of the future that we can't even imagine. God, would you do that for us right now, that we would be just completely in awe, going, oh, I see it. I see the connect the dots. I see it. I used to love that as a kid, just connecting the dots on the paper, and then all of a sudden the picture was starting to come alive. 
I, I love that way more than puzzles because puzzles took so much time and effort, but I'm like, connect those dots. It can be like a hundred. And you're just like going through it and going, oh, 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 I see it. I see the picture now. I see what's happening. That's what I pray as we are diving through from Genesis to Revelation, that the picture is coming clearer and clearer because by the time we get into Acts chapter two, and the, and the scripture that was proclaimed in Joel is now being fulfilled. And he says, in the last days, verse 17, Acts chapter 2, verse 17, it shall be that God declares, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. We encounter Peter. We encounter Ananias and Sapphira. We encounter Priscilla, Phoebe, Paul, Timothy, people who understood that to follow Christ wasn't about finding happiness but rather it was to complete the mission that they were given. We get to Colossians chapter four, and Paul writes to um, Archippus. I call him Archie because it just sounds cooler because who's going to name their kid Archippus? Like that's not a cool, okay, anyways, Archie. Chapter four, verse 17, Paul says to him, one-liner, see that you fulfill the ministry that you've received from the Lord. Okay, Ephesians chapter two, complete the works that the Lord has designed for you. We got to stop and remember that in the midst of this big, incredible God story, a corporate plan that he has, we have a very personal God who cares about if you fulfill the ministry you have been called to, the works that you have been designed to complete. It's for you. I got different things that I need to complete. I have a different assignment than yours. And so this personal God who offers salvation to each one individually, is, it's incredibly special that we each share that personal relationship with God. And yet corporately, we reflect and we celebrate that there was an extreme cost for each of us to access the God of peace. There was a bloody cost for peace bloodshed of the perfect lamb so that we could dwell with God as brothers and sisters in Christ. See, the, the story is not over yet. Just because you flip and you read to the very end of Revelation doesn't mean God's done because it's our turn now. It's our turn to complete the vision and the ministry and the assignments that God has for each of us. We are his friends. We are his servants. We are the children of God, peace carriers and hope dealers and people that give love freely. He wants to dwell with us just like how he dwelt in the garden. In Ephesians chapter two, it says, in him, you are built together as a dwelling place for God and by the spirit. He dwells with us and he dwells in us. So your family and your friends, just like mine, need hope. That hope of Christ, that resides in you to give. The church needs you. The city needs you. The nation needs you to fulfill the ministry, the work that God's called you to do. We, we give so much onus on the leaders of the church and the people that are pastors and, and, and ministers and reverends and all of this. We forget it's a personal relationship. Samaritan woman, go, go through all of them. They didn't go, oh, no, I'm not, sorry, I'm not a rabbi. I can't serve. I can't preach. I can't teach. I can't tell anybody about you. She just ran and told everybody what was happening. There was no holding back. And time after time after time, there is... 
fill up with Nathaniel. They're like, hey, you know what? I just tasted and seen. I know that the God, God is good. I know this is the son of man. They're just like, what? They were sharing their experience. That's what we're called to do. Share what God's done in our lives with our neighbors, with our friends, with our family, and let Holy Spirit do the rest because he's already pursuing people. He's already working in their lives. And all God wants to do is dwell, dwell with his creation. He wanted to do that in Genesis. He created humanity to dwell with them. And in Revelation, he describes a longing to reunite with the, the creator, with his followers, that that is the longing to feast at his table. That's what, dwell with him, hang out with him. Still with God, you know, it's so beautiful. And then we're in this middle space called earth and we get confused and we complicate things and we're just simply supposed to dwell with him and invite others into this dwelling place. It's a simple word, guys. It's a simple word to just remember to, to hang out with God. Remember what he has done. We're part of a bigger story that still continues today. His work is not finished yet. And so with every breath that we have, until our last moment or until he comes again, let's make an impact. And that when I say that, I don't mean like, oh, okay, we're gonna go and like make a roar in downtown Vancouver. No, 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 let's make an impact. Start, start with your family. Let's start there. And then let's start with our community and let's extend from there. But let's start small, start with the neighbors that are on your street. Because if we start there faithful, faithfully, start in the small, there will be big impact. There will be massive impact. We don't have to think that we need platform or microphone or computer or nothing else to just serve the Lord. He just wants to dwell with you and I and ignite us to go out and be people that share hope with such a broken world. And so I'm gonna pray for us, family at the way, I'm gonna pray for us so that we could be agents that carry that truth to our city and that Vancouver and beyond would be forever changed because of one life, one story. Each of you that are watching this my life, the team at the way, that each person would be ignited to fulfill the ministry that God has called you to. So I've written this prayer for us. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that we would be a place where you could dwell. Would you transform us from the inside out? Would you give us your eyes to see and your hands to offer support? Would we be your feet to carry peace to this broken world? Would we be your mouth to share a message of hope that would point people to King Jesus? We are, are grateful that we can dwell with you and invite you into the decision-making of our lives. I ask you to guide our steps. I thank you for choosing the unlikely ones. We are so unlikely, Lord, that, that there's no credential, there's no, nothing that would qualify us, Lord God. But you know what, Lord? You delight in choosing the unlikely ones to be light and salt on this earth. And so I pray that you would ignite us, that you would empower us, Holy Spirit, so that we could fulfill what we've been created for until our last breath in Jesus' name. Amen.